Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 252 and my conversation with South Carolina State University Director of Bands and Percussion Instructor and the very recently earned doctor, Dr. Patrick Moore. Let's get right to it. I actually got to meet Patrick Moore in person at the 2020 Missouri Music Educators Association Conference when he presented there, and this was just prior to the start of the pandemic, and that's a subject that we touch upon in the interview. I say in person because while we didn't actually talk about it during the interview, he and I had actually met a few years earlier over the phone when he was a finalist for the Lincoln University Director of Bands job that had come open over the summer after my colleague had retired. So he was already on my radar. At a young age, Patrick's career has already been quite varied. He's an active composer, arranger, and performer. He's taught both percussion and band at many programs. He's been a student in percussion programs with folks that I've both known and had on the show, particularly those who teach at Texas Tech and the University of Arkansas. And of particular interest to me, he's someone who, while currently teaching at a celebrated HBCU band program, does so coming from a more core style oriented background, and he had to learn some of the ropes once he started teaching there. We get to all of that and more in our interview. One final note, I was having some pretty unusual computer issues while we recorded, which required me to switch computers twice to finish the interview. So you may get some weird audio things happening here or there. Just be aware of that. All right, let's get to it. We recorded this interview over multiple Zoom sessions on July 6th, 2021, and it begins right now. So Patrick, tell me about your current job right now with South Carolina State. So I am currently serving as the director of bands at South Carolina State University. So I oversee all aspects of the instrumental ensembles that takes place in fall and spring semester. In the fall, we generally just have marching band. Spring semester, we have uh, two concert bands currently right now. Jazz band, we are rebuilding to kind of make it a yearly thing that takes place. And overseeing the uh, athletic bands, uh, when to do men and women basketball, uh, other smaller events uh, that we use small pep bands to do performances as well. Um, I do have an assistant director that does those events, but I do kind of step in just from time to time uh, when need be. Tell me about getting the job. Uh, where were you before you got the job? Um, w- kinds of things that t- – and talk a little bit more about that program because it's a very well-known program in HBCU circles, but maybe not a- in um, everyone's yeah. band <laughs> circles. Yeah, so before coming to uh, South Carolina State, I was at Houston Baptist University for five years. I had actually uh, was hired at HBU in Houston, Texas to start – the marching band program uh, simply because they had did away with instrumental music and then they started a football team and you know three or four years later and then they realized oh we need a band so uh <laughs> you know I had I had done so many things in the past and um interviewed for that job and they, they were really excited to have me be there and um 
around the end of my fifth year, I was kind of deciding, you know, I wanted to do something different, wanted to take on a new challenge. Um, you know, definitely, as they say, you know, get out of your comfort zone, some, you know, something completely brand new. And the job had actually come up. And I had knew about the school, um, been a very, uh, you know, lots of historical uh, things that have taken place with the university, with the band program, uh, kind of very well known in the HBCU coaches being one of the powerhouses uh, at one point in time of, of HBCU world uh, when it comes to bands. And so, you know, I definitely applied, um, did the interviews and they, uh, they really liked all the different things that I was going to be able to bring to the table, especially that, you know, it was a little different because I didn't go to an HBCU in my undergrad. Um, so that was going to be, you know, me bringing something completely different to the table um, that the program had not had um, in a very, very long time. So uh, like I said, when that opportunity came up and it was offered for me um, to take a job, I, it was something I really wanted to uh, definitely try. Um, I grew up watching uh, HBCU bands perform all the time. Um, being from West Memphis, Arkansas, they used to do the uh, Memphis Heritage Classic. Um, right over in Memphis, Tennessee at the Memphis Tiger Stadium. I think it was Jackson State versus Tennessee State mm -hmm. um, every year. So, uh, you know, going to what's, you know, the zero quarter of <clears throat> just the bands performing, bands performing the entire game. Um, halftime, of course, nobody left the stands. Everybody was excited to see the bands for halftime. And then you got the actually more people come into the game uh, at yeah, halftime. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> more people come to the game just for halftime. And then they, the football game. <laughs> right. then they kind of jet for a little bit. But then yeah. at another the game, there's this fifth quarter right. where it's just maybe a whole another hour of just getting these bands performing all these different songs that you would hear on the radio, yeah. um, new arrangements, other things. And so it was something I always really enjoyed doing and to have the opportunity to now be able to lead one of those premier programs was something that, you know, I really wanted to have the opportunity to try and do. Um, and very glad and excited um, that I've had that opportunity. I've started in 2018. Um, so this upcoming fall is my, will be my fourth year um, at the university. Previous directors are frequently out of that program, right? Like, or they, they have like some like really strong connection to, an HBCU program or like other HBCU programs, right? Yeah, they obviously they have really strong connections uh, to other HBCU programs. South Carolina State is actually one of the few HBCU band programs where their director of bands has never been an alumni. Uh, so that, that's which is very interesting yeah. because majority of all HBCU band programs and alumni is generally the director of bands at some point, and we are one of the few programs where the director of bands has never been an alumni of the school. Um, not really sure why, uh, but that is just something that has not happened uh, generally up to this point. Um, I can see it being a good thing because, again, you bring in new people, new fresh ideas constantly. Uh, people who are not afraid to do things outside the box compared to just doing um, the same thing as what the program has always done um, year in, year out. So, Yeah. Was this your first experience with uh, directing a, a show band? Show style yeah. band? Yeah, yeah. So this is my first experience of doing a show style band. I did my undergrad at the University of Arkansas, did my mm -hmm. master's at Texas Tech, um, just completed my doctorate at Abilene Christian University. Yes. Uh, so yes, I've, Dr. Uh, Moore. Yeah. You need to get um, used to hearing that. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited to be done with all of that. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, coming from that core background, uh, even with high school, it was definitely something different. But like I said, it's something I grew up watching those traditional style bands uh, perform. 
Uh, coming from coming from Arkansas, there's also University of Arkansas Pine Bluff right. um, that I was constantly was able to grow up uh, being able to watch and see perform. Um, so it wasn't like it was something foreign to me as far as knowing about it, but it was foreign as far as being the you know a teacher and director over something like this. What's something that you know if someone is I don't even want to say interested, but if someone so to give you someone an idea of what is of something that is is different that it, like you definitely had a skill set that you had to like pick up either very quickly or you had but you hadn't really developed fully. What would what would be that? Teaching the the high step marching on a constant basis, uh, we did it in, at the University of Arkansas and Texas Tech. Some of course, more or less, it was doing pregame uh, for the old traditional pregame shows. But it's definitely uh, you know something that we use the entire time doing a show. Right. Also, uh, it's done. Things are done just slightly different drill wise as far as marching in squads compared to what we know in the core, where everybody has their own individual dots. Um, that you go to make different pitches on the field. Everything is done in squads, so that's that's definitely something different. Uh, you use four-man four squads, groups um, to move. So those two things, those two things were definitely different. Uh, something to have to pick up and relearn and adjust to quicker, uh, which is completely fine. Um, again, being in a new environment, a new area, um, something great. Again, stepping outside the box. Uh, but if you don't know about those things, you definitely want to make sure you research those things and know them because it will. Uh, make your teaching a whole lot easier. Basically, you know, understanding the culture or the history of the programs as well uh, will make things a whole lot easier for you. You may be underselling this, but also I think because of the fact that you said that this is a, a program that has typically pulled directors that are not alumni, is that the, these lots of HBCU programs have down, there's a lot of expectations on directors to keep things like how other people had them from, from different generations. Did do you feel, did you feel that when you took the position? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, it was one of the things that was asked me uh, was to keep the tradition of the program alive. So that means I had to learn all the different traditions, of course, from the right. beginning. Um, and then coming in, you have to definitely learn, uh, like I said, the cultural, the hit, the culture, the history, uh, learning uh, things from all the different alumni, what do they want, learning what things the students want, um, they're accustomed to. So it was a lot um, to have to adjust to within the first year of coming in. Um, and you, you, of course, you never have any time to really learn all these things. You kind of continue to work with them as you go. So I was very subtle as far as the changes and things that I made uh, when I first got here. Uh, one of the first things I did was I had a meeting with just all the students to kind of learn some different things from them as to what they liked, what they did not like. Then had a separate meeting with my staff, um, then another meeting with the band alumni members, and then tried to have just a standard meeting with uh, people from the community that knew the band program and seeing what did they expect. Um, and again, what, they, what did they want to see change that they felt would make the band program better. It was, um, you know, even though I'm coming into my fourth year now, you know, we're still having a lot of these same conversations because, um, you know, I want to try new things, keep things innovative, keep the students interested. And sometimes those things work great. Then sometimes, of course, you catch a lot of backlash of, whoa, we've never done that before in the past. Just stick to what we used to do. Um, but then you get some people who are like, yeah, let's forget what we used to do in the past. Let's keep doing this. Uh, so it, it's. It's, you know, you're constantly trying to keep things level, 
uh, to make those uh, those different changes to keep everyone interested, but also respecting the past as well. Um, you're always getting compared to what past directors have done, uh, you know, for the program, whether that's good or bad. And it just uh, you just kind of try to fit in while doing your own thing along the way. And again, like I said, for me, I always try to make it about the kids. So if the kids are happy, they're making great progress. Uh, I know we're doing something correctly. We're on the right path. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a big challenge. And like I said, even with all the success that the band has had um, since I've been there, um, it's it's still a little crazy at times because there's still people who think that I should still do things differently. Um, you have people who are excited that things are being done differently. So you have to just kind of, like I said, play you got to kind of play a little, I don't know if you're saying playing it safe or just kind of be very cautious as far as what you're doing. Because, again, you want to respect the history of the program, uh, but you also want to do things a little bit different as you move forward in the future. You want to keep your current students happy, but you also want to recruit new students. Um, and, again, you want to keep those passive people who are always been supportive of the program, um, keep them interested to continue supporting the program as well. How you work with your Assistant directors, how you work with the drumline staff? Last few years, I've had a drumline instructor um, do do some things. And what I've done is mostly I'll come in and I'll still write a little bit um, throughout the season. So if we're doing a show particularly that I really want to write um, the drumline part two, I'll just write it and then I'll still teach it. But other than I had kind of giving the kind of full authority to the drumline instructor to do all the writing and teaching, of drum cases and things of that nature. But again, being a percussionist, there are certain things I think, you know, I want to hear, I want to see played. So on those special shows, I would definitely write the, uh, from there. Probably, um, I think 20, the last two seasons though, I've done all the writing for the drumline and all the teaching, uh, particularly with the pandemic happening, not having awful staff be around. So it was great for me in a sense, because I've gotten, um, you know, to, to be with the kids a lot more hands-on with the percussion section instead of just uh, so many days here and there. Um, it does stretches me a little bit from working with just percussion and being with the entire band, but I just kind of rearrange some things. My, uh, I'd have a, a chief arranger who does a lot of the, all the other band or arrangement and things throughout the season. I'm doing a lot more conducting with the entire band, so that, so that freed me up a little bit to kind of float around some more um, or just be away with the drumline within itself. Um, the the drumline kids, they think it's very cool anyway. The fact that the, the head director is a percussionist, so I understand, you know, the lingo, uh, the playing, because uh, I still play a lot myself. Um, so they they enjoyed that aspect of getting that one on one time directly with me, and I enjoy it as well. And they, they work really hard, so. It's really fun. Uh, I do enjoy being in front of the entire band, though, getting to conduct, give feedback. Uh, but being able to separate and get back with just the percussion section, uh, you know, brings back a lot of memories back from when I was in school, when I was on the drum line as well, too. So I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, in the future, I'm pretty sure I'll change some things back up eventually. Um, but for now, um, even this upcoming season, I'm just going to do everything with the uh, drum line. Do you... Or have you gotten used to the slings? Yeah, I actually have. I I think it's given me a lot, a little bit more freedom when it comes to writing for them to incorporate a lot more of uh, visual effects with things. 
Yeah. Um, I don't like personally wearing them to demonstrate and to play because I, I'm like, I'm getting older now. So <laughs> the drums hurt my back. Yeah. Even when I, I, um, I teach percussion techniques class in the fall for all the, uh, the education majors. And I always tell them, you know, this class is going to be great. It's going to be fun. But wait until the day we put on the marching equipment when we get to the end of the semester with that. Then I think you'll start to respect the percussion section a whole lot more uh, when you see what they go through. Because I make them wear the drums the entire class. And uh, we do marching techniques, fundamentals. And generally, it's like the first three minutes, you know, the clarinet player is just like, oh, my gosh, my back is killing me. (laughs) And so I feel that same exact way now because I don't wear a drum every single day. But right. it's it's uh it's it's really great, like I said, from the visual aspect of things, of what I get to add in and incorporate with the music. And uh it's it's amazing to see the students come up with a lot of things too that they want to incorporate within the music. Uh my main big focus is always on making sure we play clean, we look good, we all look the same. And then we start to incorporate the visual things. So I love to see the, you know, the brain starting to to move and be very active directly from the beginning of how they want to, uh, you know, see how far can they go. And having that sling, being able to switch the drums around the head, move around mm-hmm. the entire body, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to get to see. Yeah. And obviously we're not... Um we're not toning down the technical aspect either. Like you, I still, you know, you still expect them to, to their hands to be technically correct. And, and oh, yeah. they basically are doing all the same stuff they'd be doing with a carrier. It's just like now they have to incorporate all of these other uh, visual aspects to it. That is not necessarily part of core style. Yeah. In some instances uh, in HBC where the visual aspect kind of sits up there almost or a little bit higher than everything else because you want to be fully entertained, uh, entertaining the entire time. Yeah. So we, I just make it, make it known that we can't do anything visually until we get all of the key fundamental things down. Um, And the students really push hard to make sure that we get that element down so that they can have a little bit more fun, make it a little bit more entertaining as well when we get to that part of it. Yeah, I, that's definitely a, a th- one of the things I miss uh, not having not when, since I, I was directing it uh, show style drumline is the that student engagement and uh, creativity was always blew my mind. The things that they they were coming up with and I would just be like, I would just incorporate it, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like use it. There's, I'm not there's, I know I'm not standing in the way. I just want to I just it's like it's going to improve and we're, I'll add like I'll tweak some things. But no, this is keep it coming. <laughs> yeah, I always tell the students, uh, even when I'm talking with the whole entire band is if you got an idea of something, uh, you know, bring it forward. Let me know, because I know that if, if this is your idea and I say, great, let's do it. They're going to work really hard to make sure that it looks good and sounds good. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to diminish it by saying no. Now, if I think it just looks bad, it was going to degrade the program. Of course, I tell them no. We do some tweaking to some things. But I love when the students bring us feedback or have ideas and suggestions. Um, one, it takes a little bit off my plate of trying to come up with something brand new every week. Right. But it also lets me know that they are really invested within the program. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you? How do you work with? Um, student leaders within the band, within like the drum line specifically? I mean, does, does each section have their own captain? Uh, is there a captain over the whole section? How does that work? Yeah, so I have uh, right now, I have it said that each uh, section of the drum line has its own section leader or drum captain. And then we have our overall drum head 
um, that really kind of makes a lot of the different decisions. Um, I've taught them in the idea of, you know, not having to wait for me to show up to start warming up, what the process should be to have a good warm up to get started, breaking off into small groups, and even just teaching them music. Um, because being the director of bands, uh, you know, as you know, and I'm sure as many other people know, a lot of time it's really administrative heavy. So yep. even when we start band practice, I'm probably off in some meeting somewhere trying to get budgets done or I'm with the athletic department about upcoming events that we've gotten or I'm on the phone with people who are calling who want the band to come perform at places. So it does stretch me a little thin uh, from even just working with the entire band because I have a whole other world of being the director that I have to still associate with yeah. you know, each and every single day. So, but I look at it as it gives me the opportunity to teach students on how to actually function and run and work within the program when the directors are not there and available. So we have great drum majors who are always there ready to get the band started. The drum line, um, their captain or the drum head is a very, you know, we have lots of meetings to, for me to instruct them on how things need to be so they can be run so we don't lose any time uh, in case the directors are not there or available at a certain amount of time. That, that's great. And that's great that you make it clear that if you're running late, it's not because of anything that's because <laughs> of other things you got to deal with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, the students, but they're so eager to play. Um, majority of the sections always start rehearsal or they're in sections like an hour before we actually start rehearsal. So they're already there playing. Yeah. Um, the same thing goes with the drum line because um, if you're a percussionist, you know that not only are you learning show music, you're learning drum cadences. Uh, then again, they're adding the visual effects to the show music and the drum cadences. There's sort of so much more that you have to memorize compared to what the rest of the band does. You need the additional practice. So it's great. Like I said, the students show up early because they want, they're so invested into everything and they want to make sure that they look good when they're performing. Yeah, definitely. Tell me a little bit about the the practice schedule that you all, I mean, I know you talked about that they, they'll come in early, but what's kind of the set practice schedule that you all have and and a, a typical game day schedule that you all have. Yeah, so once school starts, we have a uh, band starts at 6.30. Mm -hmm. um, and we go until usually about 9.30, Monday through Friday. Sometimes we will go a little bit longer if um, we have something really big coming up, but I try to respect the students' time because I want to make sure that they are doing well in their classes and they have enough rest right. um, and things from that nature. So we'll have kids show up though at five o'clock and they'll start warming up and practicing um, from that time until we finish practice. Normal game day. Um, a lot of our games, have, since I've been here, we have only like one or two night games, which is great for me because that means the other games are going to start about one o'clock and we'll be out soon, you know, four hours later. Right. But we uh, will get, generally get there about an hour to two hours before we need to march over to the stadium. Um, to give us a chance to get a good warm-up in, uh, make sure everyone has everything set, uh, uniform-wise, run through all the different music. Then, we, of course, we have a lineup, and we do a parade from the band hall over to the football stadium. Um, that's always a great thing because a lot of people are still tailgating. Um, we get to take a lot of pictures. We still meet a lot of people as well. And then um, we do a pregame show. Um, and then we perform throughout the game and halftime and we'll stay over after uh, the game. We're still play about 
maybe another 15, 20 minutes while people are exiting the stadium. If there's another band that comes, though, we could be in the stadium a whole another hour and a half, two hours right. just playing music. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, it depends on how long I want to be there. Right. Um, usually, I know all the other directors very well now. Um, yeah. So generally, we'll talk before the game, and it's like, look, <laughs> after the let's go three songs a piece and let's just call it a day. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, great, that, that works just fine because I'm I'm tired. Of course, the students are like, no, we want to play more. And it's like, ah, go home and play. Let's, let's, let's take a break. You got to start this thing back over on Monday. Right. Um, but since I've been there, South Carolina State, yeah, we've had some battles, man. I've looked around. It's been two hours later. And we're still in the stands playing music. And I'm just kind of like, I want to stop this, but the students are doing so well. Right. Uh, but eventually we we do kind of cut it off um, just so we can go get some rest and get <laughs> start mentally preparing for the next upcoming show. Um, yeah. That 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 is the the longest thing, particularly after a three and a half, four hour long football game. And it's like we're going to be here for probably about another good hour and a half. <laughs> right. I want to get to the end. I love it. But I also want to go sleep at the same time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and let's point out that we're you're talking about. Uh, you know, South Carolina <laughs> at in mid afternoon. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's hot. Not, it's not cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not a nice breezy day. It is hot. I mean, no <laughs> wind, no breeze. It is hot. And you know those those band uniforms. I don't care what band you're in. Those band uniforms are not meant to keep you cool no. um, as you go throughout the season. Yeah. So. It's uh like I said, it, it it's kind of like a, a love hate relationship thing. Some of the students even say it. They they're like, "Can we stop? I just want to go." And then you yeah. have to both of the students that are like, "No, let's keep playing." Right. Yeah. We run every song that we do. Like we we will. I think I counted in fall nineteen, we actually had about ninety three songs that we had learned throughout that season. Yeah. And I swear, I think a few games. I think we played every single song and. Um, it's amazing because the kids, they memorize all these songs. We don't right. use sheet music or anything in the stands. Everything is by memory. So we reinforce a lot of things during rehearsal to make sure that we get everything learned and try to perform everything at the highest caliber as possible. And I don't think it gets taught, like, the amount of music, because, okay, and, and you're underselling this because you're if you're talking about drumline, that's 93 songs Plus, marching cadences, show cadences, stands yeah. cadences, <laughs> battle cadences. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the besides, you know, the show cadences, on the field cadences, marching yeah. cadences, any yep. new cadences that I might have ridden throughout the year, <laughs> battle cadences. Yeah, yeah. That, the drama has a whole separate set of things that they have to learn. Yeah. Um, I'm just grateful that you know we have a group of kids that again that love to play and yeah. want to play um so they don't complain about you know having to learn all these things the traditional cadence that cadences has been passed on from you know year to year of yeah. course many of the kids good thing is they come in they already know it right because a lot of them play it in their high school yeah but we have to clean up a few things and readjust you know technique wise teach, um, it the cor- teach them the correct versions of things <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah definitely teach correct versions of some things but for the most part they've got a good base yeah. Of those cadences. So we don't have to spend as much time learning those compared to all the new things that we're going to be doing for that season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so it's true. A lot. 
Yeah. You know, what's awesome though, is that when you, I mean, I guess you probably haven't been there long enough, but, but I mean, I know, you know, this, that, you know, if you have alumni that come back and, you know, they'll listen or, you know, they still know all the cane, like they'll, even if they haven't played stuff and like five, 10 years, they still know, they still remember it all because they had to play them so many times. <laughs> yeah, we have now. So every year doing homecoming, we have an alumni, um, drumline showcase so mm, basically awesome. many of them will bring their own drums i don't yeah. even know where some of these drums from are <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll pull out drums from you know the older drums and pull them out and they will line up outside in front of the band room and yeah. they do the i mean dance routines with the drum cadences still right. playing and it'll be like a whole another 45 minutes to an hour of just the drumline out there performing right and it's amazing to still you know see people remember all these things now, I, I understand because, you know, at the University of Arkansas, we play a lot of drum cases when I was in school there. Yeah. So whenever uh, I've had the chance to go back, I still remember all the different drum cases. Of course, uh, I, I'm still young. I'm only 33. But even doing all the movement and things, it's still uh, it's still there. Uh, you don't yeah. forget it because, like you said, you've played it so much in that four or five year span while you're in school. I, I think it's just something that's automatically going to forever be ingrained yeah. uh, with the person. So it's great to see those guys come back and do those different mm-hmm. things. And the younger students, uh, they they just eat it up, man. They love it. Um, they get a lot of pointers because they don't pointers from those guys. So they don't get to see the alumni perform a lot mm-hmm. once the semester starts because we're always on the go 100 percent from first day of school all the way until, you know, when, I guess the last parade we do in the fall is Christmas parade. And then even then we're coming back a few weeks in January for MLK parades and right. everything else. So the, the students don't get as much downtime as many people think that they do, um, you know, for the band or the drumline in general. Yeah. And then, you know, the drumline is also doing different performances uh, throughout the school year uh, at different school pep rally events, um, things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, they're they're constantly constantly going, but for them to get to sit back and watch an alumni, you know, guys before them perform, you know, it's a great thing. You're right on with the um, that the constantly performing. I mean, kind of thing when I was at Lincoln is that the drumline met all year because yeah. we had stuff all the time. Never ending circle, as I said. <laughs> uh, people want if the whole band can't be there, they want the drumline to be there. Right. And they always got to put on a good show. So it's constant amount of practice each and every single day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Tell me a little bit more about the school. Um, You know, like a little bit about school music, the the school itself, kind of the history as much as as you've kind of gleaned from your time there so far. Yeah. So the um, school itself is one of the only public land grant HBCU institutions in South Carolina. It's located in Orangeburg, South Carolina, uh, which is a great location because we are just south of Columbia and just east of Charleston. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, west of Charleston. So right. we're right there in that middle area and you can get to either one within 45 minutes to an hour. So uh, there are a lot of different schools that we get to uh, connect with on that one route. Um, a lot of our students are from those different areas. So makes great connections for us as well. The School of Music sits um, within the School of Fine Arts, uh, Visual and Performing Arts. Um, We do offer majors in music education and music industry currently. 
Uh, I just finished working with one of my other colleagues to develop a BA degree because uh, we have a lot of students that want to come in. They want to be music majors, but they don't want to necessarily teach and they don't want to do industry. Yeah. So we're not it's not trying to make it a performance degree, but still just a bachelor's of music degree that gives them all the things that they need um, with the option to take some of those education courses, music education courses, elective in case they decide to change their mind along the way, they won't be so far behind right? Um, as they go through their music career, but still give them multiple different opportunities to, to be exposed to the other side of music within itself. Um, it's not a very large music program. I think we have about 50 to maybe 70 uh, music majors um, across the board, um, but it's a, it's a really good program. Uh, the students get a wealth of knowledge the professors that are involved in the music department all come um, from multiple different backgrounds. We have a few alumni. We do have a lot of, uh, we have other people, like I said, with great background. Uh, for instance, uh, Mr. Bailey, uh, who does jazz, also was the uh, like first principal, first chair principal trombone player for the U.S. Army Band at one point. Mm. He's done, done records with Disney, uh, performing a lot of different movie uh, soundtracks. Um, we have Dr. Reed, who's the trumpet professor, trumpet and French horn professor, who's played with the New York Symphony. So it's great to have all these different people there to give the students all this wealth of knowledge um, and also connect, be able to connect them with other people um, to advance their musical career as well uh, while they're in school. And I like that, I, you know, I get to contribute to that. Uh, from my background, um, not being from an HBCU uh, world, so I do have a lot of connections to a lot of different people. My performance background, performing overseas, I get to connect a lot of my students with those areas. I've started now, I've had a lot of my percussion uh, students who are interested in arranging and writing, so I've been able to get them connected with um, my publishing company, and this is how you publish music, this is how you write the book, this is what students are going to look for, great levels that you should look to write for. So it's been great. So again, expose the students to all those multiple different things um, each day. Isn't South Carolina State across the street from Claflin? Yes, Claflin, um, they're like literally a fence separates the two <laughs> universities. Um, and the good thing is since Claflin, Claflin doesn't have a marching band. Mm -hmm. But so we got a lot of students who go to Claflin that want to do marching band in college. So they can actually be part of the marching band at South Carolina State. They can dual enroll. And we're working on a plan now uh, that if you're a music major, that you can also be part of the marching band. Because for some reason right now, if you are a non-music major, you can be a part of the band. But if you're a music major, you cannot. So we're trying to get that worked out. Um, so all the music majors can also have that, uh, that college experience of doing marching band. Uh, so I, I'm glad, though, that right now the non-majors get that opportunity because it gives us a lot more students, um, and, but it also helps us build connections with another university as well that our students will be uh, connected with. And Claflin is also an HBCU. It is just a uh, private HBCU in uh, South Carolina. Yeah, and there are, because um, I know Benedict is in um, is in Columbia. And yeah, Benedict there and are, Allen. Allen, Allen right. They just started back their band program, uh, I think, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I actually know the uh, director of bands there, um, Mr. Ed, Mr. Ellis, uh, he, who actually used to be the director of bands at South Carolina State. Oh. Uh, before I got here. 
Okay. Um, so me and him are, are, are really good friends. So I knew him before I moved uh, out here for this position. Um, so we, we see those, uh, Benedict and Alan, you know, most of the times throughout the year, uh, performance watch, we're all really kind of recruiting uh, a lot of the local high schools uh, in, the, in the same area. Yeah. Yeah. I had um, I had Javon Milford, the percussion director, Alan on recently. So we were talking. Oh, yeah. About- me, and, me and him have been talking about doing uh, this summer during the pandemic. It allowed us, you know, we had a lot of free time. So we started um, just kind of recording ourselves, practicing, performing short pieces. I've been putting them up online and we've been discussing of trying to do a uh, percussion recital together. So hopefully we get there to actually do that. That's one good thing about the pandemic. It gave me a lot more time to practice, um, write a lot of new music. And so I am grateful for that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Kind of backing away a little bit from South Carolina State, but at what point had you started working on your doctorate? And was that, were you doing that because you wanted it or were you doing because you saw that the jobs were going to hope that you had this degree? Yeah. So I started working on my doctorate about my third year at Houston Baptist University. Uh, I was doing so much administration work um, and being in these meetings with all these high power level people from presidents and provosts constantly. Um, One, I was just kind of trying to figure out what made me so special that I was involved in all of these different meetings. And I was like, you know, maybe I need to get the degree. So I was like, I'm being the only person in the room that's not doctor so-and-so or whatever. Sure. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to move to a bigger university at some point. HBU is a private uh, Christian school in Houston. Uh, and I knew that to get on that larger level that at some point I would, I would have needed the doctorate degree. Um, so, you know, I really kind of fought, well, maybe don't ever move, just stay where you are. But I've always been the person that, that wants to test the boundaries and the limits of all things. And so kind of started looking into a lot of different programs um, that would allow me to be able to keep my current job while working on the doctorate degree as well. Um, and getting to research and study things that I had a lot of interest in at the same time. And so that really kind of pushed me into, um, you know, looking at getting the, the doctorate. And the one thing I did notice, though, was uh, as soon as I started working on the doctorate, um, I had started getting a lot of calls from a lot of different schools about being interested because I was working towards the degree. Um, so I saw the amount of doors that it could open for me. And it really pushed me to go ahead and get it, get the degree actually done and, you know, keep pushing forward. Now I'm glad I actually wrapped everything up in March yes. and uh, I'm really glad that I was able to push forward and go through that a little bit of a delay because of the pandemic. But again, it w- it all worked out perfectly fine. And now I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. So um, again, glad to be done with that. Um, took about a little over four years to get it wrapped up and it's all done. That's awesome. Yeah, that's like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 just have the normal life uh, now things that are weighing you now, not not this giant book that you got to write. <laughs> also. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, it's, it's working 12, 13 hour days and then going home and it's like I need to put in like four or five more hours of research, yeah. reading, practice and all those type of things. Um, so it's a lot. Uh, you yeah. know, I. I've always been, since I finished my master's degree, 
every I've, I worked at Eastern Oklahoma State College, small junior college in Oklahoma. Then I went to HBU and now I'm at uh, South Carolina State. But I've always been the director of bands at each one of those institutions and also the director of percussion studies. So I've had, you know, I always carried the two hats each time. And my my dream was to just be a director of percussion at a university um, and go from there. And I've always ended up in that top director of bands position for some reason. Uh, I guess I'm actually good at it. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's always been a whole lot of work. And now um, life is a little bit different in the fact that, like I said, I'm not having to worry about writing a dissertation or do extra research and studying. I can just do my job and enjoy it to the fullest and get a little bit of rest along the way. Yeah, of course. What was the focus of your dissertation? So uh, I did my dissertation uh, really kind of out of the box, looking at how transitional programs affect students as they move from middle school to high school. And I was mostly focusing on there are a few programs here in South Carolina with their band programs in which basically help students be prepared for high school. So they not only focus in just the band area, but just the overall adjustment of focusing in the classroom, dealing with multiple teachers, um, how to advance, uh, you know, the retention, graduation rates and things like that. Um, so those those programs also focus with basic reading, writing courses as well. And I found that a lot of students who participate in band, of course, they scored higher in this transition program because band was also served as an elective for students. So basically you can have not done band in middle school, but decide you wanna do band in high school and doing this transition program over the summer, you basically form a beginning band. And a lot of the students actually, by the time school started, knew all the major and minor scales, were playing at a decent proficient level, and they stuck and did band the entire time throughout high school. So it just showed how much of an impact that band could actually have on a student to help them progress in non-band courses, um, as well as the progression that they'll make while they're in band. How did you laser into that particular topic? Well, I wanted to keep something in, involved in music, um, but I also, um, so when I found out about this program, the director there had actually contacted me about would I come in to do some clinics uh, with some of the students uh, when I first got here. So I was just like, okay, this is really interesting. Um, something that I think should be definitely brought to the forefront for hopefully that other schools will look to invest in developing transition programs for students um, who are leaving middle school, coming into high school. Um, to keep them on track and keep them excited about being in school um, the entire time. Because basically, you know, it's giving the students something else new to look forward to. And it doesn't just have to be banned. Uh, maybe we get students starting to get them involved in athletics or we we'll get them involved in other different clubs and organizations. So I wanted to see, could, would it be possible for me to integrate both of those worlds into one? And it worked out really good. Um, got to interview a lot of different students and get their perspective on the different programs and also interview a lot of different teachers and staff members and to see what worked, what doesn't work. And this, this is something that other schools should definitely look into um, doing to keep their students. The one thing I found is the students who participated in their program, um, the schools had a much higher graduation rate and many of those students did go on to go to college. So definitely proved that it's something that many schools should look into doing. That's awesome. 
it it's it's like it, it's one of those things like it's it's frustrating i think for for a lot of us who you know who are, who are teaching music at higher level or wherever honestly but when when you, you we all know how important ba- like band or or like choirs or 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 any of these program any of these like large ensemble programs are for because the students are like specifically interested in that and how that translates into them being good at the rest of school basically <laughs> yeah i i always say if i didn't have band uh particularly looking forward to being just on a drum line yeah um, in middle school and high school i i don't think i would have been a great student because it gave me something to look forward to each and every single day yeah um because i knew it was going to be different even if we did the same thing, play the same songs, I knew it was going to be different in some kind of capacity compared to just sitting in my, you know, my math class, learning different math formulas and me wondering, am I ever going to use this? Right. Like, do I need to know what X value of X is while I'm in the grocery store yeah. or something like that? So, and a lot of students had the same type of reaction as they admitted that being, you know, starting this band journey or continuing their band journey gave them something positive to look forward to in school because they knew that they had to keep their grades up in the other classes in order to participate in band. Right. And it made them want to work um, twice as hard because it also was a, it's an outlet for students. Right. You know, we can be extremely expressive with doing music. And for me, being a percussionist, um, I remember growing up watching DCI on uh, PBS when it was free back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've seen <laughs> And, uh, you know, just going, man, I want to do that someday. I want to be on the drum line, you know, play like these guys are playing each and every single day. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it just gave me something to look forward to. Um, and that's the same thing I had in school. And I think many students, you know, it proves that the arts, how important the arts are for right. keeping students involved in school. Um, yeah. Give them something that they're excited about. They will work hard and continue to keep doing it. 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Patrick, let's back up. So you you said you grew up in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any family members in the arts? I had a lot of family members who did local singing groups in churches, um, things like that. But I'm the first one who's gone to college um, to preferably really study in the arts um, in that way. So I grew up all my aunts and uncles playing uh, different instruments and different bands. Um, in churches or just local groups that they put together. Um, not many of them did anything really in school. So I was kind of like the first one that was actually taking it a little bit of a step further. Um, also, you know, grew up, I grew up in West Memphis, Arkansas, is where I'm actually from. So I'm just slightly right across from the Memphis State Line Bridge. Mm. Actually, my parents live like five minutes from the Memphis Bridge. So I grew up going down on Bill Street watching guys play. Um, there's the Isaac Hayes Club, BB King Club. I knew a lot of guys that played in those clubs. I've actually had the opportunity to play in them a little bit as well. Um, Stax Music Records um, is you know, not too far. So I grew up being exposed to all of this music so world and seeing all these drummers, particularly come through Memphis, um, getting to meet them and perform uh, next, next to them. Uh, made me really, really want to continue to study the craft and, like I said, take it to a new level. Uh, even though I had family members who done some of these things, but they had never done it on the level that I'm able to currently do it now. Isn't that, there's never enough talk about stacks. Like, yeah, I just that catalog is 
unbelievable. <laughs> he, um, man, the highlight of my career with Stax is uh, before he died, I got to do a concert with Wayne Jackson, famous trumpet player with Stax Music. Uh, and the stories and things that he was able to tell me of recording with Elvis Presley and other big name people, it was mm-hmm. just amazing that I was able to sit in the same room with this guy and then sit on stage and be the drummer for him uh, as he performed. And very laid back guy too. Yeah. Um, and of course, amazing trumpet player. And it just, yeah, Stax is just, man, so many great musicians have come through Stax. Um, I don't think so many people know, you know, how many great musicians are either influenced through Stax or have come through Stax yeah. um, in, in Tennessee. And I'm glad I got to be a part of that growing up. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, you know, the stories that that you could tell other people. <laughs> and then oh, the yeah, story is that, that you know maybe you you keep on to because it might incriminate <laughs> some folks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I was fortunate, you know, to grow up in this small little town because uh, I was able to be exposed to so many things um, compared to coming from you know a really huge big area. Um, I didn't have to fight to get close to the arts or to see them or hear them uh, be performed or. And I thought that was that was very important and essential to my, you know, growing up and being maturing as a musician. Um, and it's one of the things that, you know, I hope, you know, my kids will continue to enjoy because I, I have two two boys right now and they're both always at band rehearsal. And of course, they love the drum line. Right. And they're always around them. And so being able to expose them to this culture of music at such a young age is, uh, is very important. Yeah, that's that's the best. So how did you settle on percussion being your instrument then? I started playing drums um, in church around third grade. Okay. Uh, mostly kind of mimicking other drummers that, again, that I've seen on TV or live downtown in Memphis. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of really the only thing that I ever wanted to play. It mm-hmm. was either that or, you know, playing piano. I loved being able to pick up small melodies and things I heard off TV commercials and kind of play them. Yep. Um, so I remember going into, uh, middle school and doing the band audition and trying to figure out where you want to be placed at. And the director really wanted me to play French horn. And I was just, I did not want to do it. Um, holding the horn. First of all, I was like, this thing is heavy. I don't want to do that. And after a few minutes of trying to make a sound on the mouthpiece, I worked out, but I was like, my face hurts. I don't (laughs) like this. (laughs) <laughs> and I asked, I asked him, I said, hey, can I um, can I try it on percussion? Yeah. And he was like, no, we don't need another drummer. And I said, well, hey, I also I learned how to play piano. And mm-hmm. so then that caught his attention because he was like, well, maybe you can play mallets. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, great. Let's try this out. And so I've kind of played uh, really it was the Jeopardy theme was the first thing I played on mallets. Because yeah. <laughs> um, one of the first thing I learned to play on piano, being at my grandma's house watching Jeopardy every single day. Yeah. Um, so I played that and he was like, okay, great. Um, and then I had the hands because I was learning drum set and had been playing for a few years. Yep. So keeping time, call and response was very easy. And he, luckily he realized that I was a natural mm-hmm. and that I just needed more training. Mm-hmm. Um, and he let me stay on percussion and that was how that, that really started. But he, he wanted me to start French horn and I was just like, no, this is, this is not going to work out well for me. Cause, uh-huh. um, but you know, and as I was able to explain to him as well, um, you know, my background with, you know, watching other drummers being, you know, so invested in it, 
Um, it wasn't a difficult decision for them to let me move on and stay in that area. I started playing more mallets than actual drum stuff um, in the very beginning because nobody wanted to play mallets. Nobody wanted to take the time to learn how to read the music because um, it was very difficult. Um, yeah. Everybody can make beats, but um, you know, you're not making beats when you're playing mallets and key- on the keyboard instrument. So that kind of gave me a little bit of an upper hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, would make a certain decision too when it comes to percussion, and you know I'm glad I really stuck with that and um, and pushed forward in that area. You mentioned kind of mimicking other drummers. Were there any anybody of note that you were really mimicking that that early age? At that early age, uh, it was more or less the guys um, that I went to church with, man, mm-hmm. um, and saw them play, trying to do what they had done. Also, again, like I said, watching. Um, a lot of DCI drummers, uh, when they used to do like the in a lot rehearsing, mm-hmm. just seeing what were they doing, how they were having their hands moved a certain exact way. Um, you know, I didn't, of course, I didn't understand the full scope of the rudiment aspect, but it's like, how can I make what I'm playing sound like what they're doing? So trying to figure that out. Um, and then I used to, um, again, just go around town uh, when there's just guys just playing with the high school. Um, my, my mom would actually let me go up to the high school in some of the evenings and watch the band practice um, sometimes. Um, so I was able to see what they were doing and talk with some of those students. And again, just trying to copy them um, per se until I got a little bit older and was able to watch a lot of different bands uh, performing. Earth, Wind & Fire used to always watch, you know, they used to have little small videos come on TV. Mm-hmm. So I used to always try to mimic that drum set player constantly. Mm-hmm. And any other big name artist, they had a drum set uh, player traveling with them. Um, I used to love just watching and trying to, any groove that they were doing, I was trying to incorporate it like literally on the spot uh, from there. And then of course, just mimicking things that I might've heard on the radio um, each and every single time too, um, just trying to play. And so I got a little bit old and tried to develop my own sound, really kind of enhance my own technique, um, doing things that really worked well for me uh, when playing. Yeah, no, that's a, it's the way to do it. What was your uh, percussion experience like in high school? Like, was it very, was it marching band focused? Were you doing a lot of concert and jazz band kind of stuff? What was what was going on there? So in high school, I did uh, marching band, concert band, tried out for uh, all region, all state every single year, <clears throat> and also did jazz band. Um, I did percussion and jazz band every year except for one. I actually played bass guitar. Mm. Uh, one year because uh, I wanted to just try something different. Um, so in Arkansas, the the thing to do, there's West Memphis. And then, like I said, 10, 15 minutes, there's Marion, Arkansas. So they're mm. right next to next. Marion always seemed to have all the best drummers. And mm. since I didn't live in Marion, I couldn't go to Marion. So I was determined that, you know, we had to have great drums in West Memphis as well. And I wanted to be one of those guys. So um and we always met each other doing band, high school band competitions. And we always had like a little drumline battle at the end. And uh, it wasn't really until like my 11th grade year that I started to see the turn of where we were actually starting to become the, the better group. Uh, we had a lot more students who were just, you know, naturals at playing a whole lot of different things. Uh, percussion wise, had a lot of different ideas to make it visually look so much better. So um, that, that was kind of really my motivation of wanting to be the best. It's like we have to beat these guys uh, because I was seeing these guys at all region, at all state. We all went to uh, Dixie Band Camp in Conway, Arkansas every single year. And the first 
I think we're like three years straight in a row. The first band of that camp, the percussion section was from Westminster High School and Marion High School. And so there was like this love-hate relationship, you know, even throughout the whole summer yeah. that we all had with each other. And it did, it took us so long to realize, look, we're all doing the same thing. We should stop hating each other and let's just, you know, be friends. Right. But that was that was kind of like the main rivalry, man, growing up uh, in this area in the small small town. And uh, even to this day, though, it's it's literally the same exact thing. And I know the directors at both of the schools, yeah. and it's still their West Memphis Marion rivalry, um, whether it's athletics or with band. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Now, when you were in high school, uh, middle school, high school, were there were you doing anything else to fill out your schedule outside of music? Were you doing like sports, student government, anything else that was kind of filling out your time? Yeah, I, I was involved in um, Beta Club and mm-hmm. Student Council. I was also a student ambassador. I did sports, um, tried out for track, did it for a little bit. Um, what event? I, I was looking to do uh, the 100 meter. Mm. which I, you know, I thought I was just the best thing in middle school because, you know, everyone's short and, you know, <laughs> not that athletic. And all I did was run anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> until I got into like the later on part of middle school. And then I was like, man, these people are so much better than me. They're also, it helps when you're six foot three in middle school already <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and take half the amount of steps that I have to take as somebody who's barely five feet tall. Um <laughs> I tried out for basketball um, the, in middle school, and the coach told me I was great. I was a good scorer. I could, uh, I, had, I'm, I could jump really high. I, I remember the first time I dunked. I was in eighth grade. Um, nice. so I could jump and touch ten foot rim. And yeah. on the issue that he had was I was short. Yeah. And everybody else on the team was six feet and taller. So he was like, yeah. "You're not going to make the team." And so. I just didn't try out for basketball anymore in middle yeah. school. Didn't even attempt to try out in high school because everybody was even taller then. Right. Um, but I stayed involved in all the other different clubs, mm-hmm. um, particularly with the student ambassadors. So I was able to be one of the people we had guests come into the school to greet them, show them around the school. And it opened me my world up to the idea of being in front of people. Uh, public speaking, mm-hmm. um, also um, learning how to make connections at a very early stage, which we all know as musicians, that's one of the main things we have to do is make connections with people. Right. So, you know, those experiences definitely were not in vain. They open up a lot of different doors and I'm still able to, you know, learn from those past experiences. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I had lots of things to keep me busy um, the entire time outside of music. Yeah. Um, but music was always still kind of the number one thing that I really wanted to do. Uh, whether you saw it then or you see it now, kind of the, how useful some of those outside clubs are like an ambassador's program, um, particularly when, you know, and, and this probably happened to you where you like, you know, a group of you would, so they'd be like, one of you needs to present this award or something. And then they yeah. all look at you and you're like, why, why? And then you're like, fine fine. I'll, I'll read the plaque. Like, you know, and it's, but it is like actually a good skill. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and even at that time, you know, I didn't see how important uh, even public speaking, you know, yeah. is. And now <clears throat> excuse me, that I present at on a, on a normal good year, you know, a normal year, uh, right. you know, I'm presenting at six to 10 different music education conferences. Where, including Missouri, where I, where yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, including I, the one in Missouri I just did. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I'm speaking for an hour plus to other educators or future educators. So yeah, those small little, I'm going to read the program to start this award ceremony off, or I'm going to show you around the school, give you feedback on different things. Those can't, you know, those play a very important part uh, of me being comfortable to speak in front of people, learning how to speak in front of people, yeah. what to do, what not to do, and just become a more personable person. So I'm glad, you know, maybe that I was short and they didn't want me on that basketball team because I gained a whole lot of other experiences in right. other areas that have helped me out in life. Right. Not that you couldn't have been on the team. Like, let's be clear about this. Like, it was... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, hey, I, I in my mind, I was going to be the next Michael Jordan. You know, That's right. Simple. You yeah. know, I, I could jump. I was fast. You know, I was hard to guard because I was so short. I thought yeah. that was an advantage. Yeah. Uh, but clearly it was a disadvantage because they only wanted tall people on the right. team. <laughs> yeah no i yeah exactly that was a that was a, yeah that's the whole thing with um that's the whole issue with 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 being short and playing basketball like my myself too i mean it was just like well i'm gonna be a pain in the butt like on defense and i can shoot too like you know, yeah. like it's gonna go both ways right and they're like man nah, not really <laughs> so the only the only thing being short has not affected me in, is in band on drumline, you know, right. because it didn't matter how tall I was, it was, can you play? And yeah. I could play. So I was always great about that. Uh, excited about that. Uh, of course, the drums were heavier, uh, but that just made me bulk up a little bit more, uh, you know, put on a few pounds to kind of distribute the weight some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really saw band as a team sport. Uh, I saw band as a more important team sport because everybody has to participate. Yeah. Um, whereas in athletics, is you might only get to play a certain amount of time. Um, and it's one of the things I loved about being on the drum line is everybody has to play. Everybody yeah. has to put forth a lot of energy to uh, to be great uh, the entire time and put on a good show. Yep. So, again, like I said, you know, those past experiences, then I didn't see how important they would be. and But now I really definitely see how essential they are. Uh, and, you know, it's Things I get to tell other people that, you know, so because something doesn't work out for you, you know, you can definitely see how it's going to definitely benefit you in the future, uh, particularly if you just keep working hard and moving forward. Yeah. You know, you saying all that reminded me of how important um, when I was in college, I was I was a, um, uh, a tour guide for a couple of years. And I, and I remember and now I think about it, it's like I was I developed like I had to talk to people. I developed a little shtick. Like I, you know, I was, I had to be quick on my feet about answering questions. It was like, it was actually, I, that was actually really good, uh, a really good prep. And I didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I use all those things when I'm teaching a band or teaching percussion, private lessons. Yeah. Um, definitely have to be quick. Always got to have something to say. Um, I, one thing I learned quickly being a teacher, you got to have a lot of examples, um, right. as a way to connect with students and, you know, being a part of all those clubs at a younger age really helped me again learn um, all those things. Oh, also, real quick, so when you mentioned yeah, Missouri, you know, I thought that I was never going to get to leave Missouri uh, when I came up for that conference because I did my clinic. Well, first I get there, do my clinic and everything, and the morning I'm supposed to leave, I get a phone call at like three. It was like about three o'clock in the morning, and it's American Airlines telling me that all of my flights have been canceled because of weather. So I was like, oh, well, this this is not good. But uh, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm supposed to check out of my hotel in a few hours. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
So the conference, though, they paid for me to stay uh, an extra night. And I was like, okay, great. Um, got rebooked and supposed to go to Chicago to go back to Houston. Uh, no, come back to South Carolina. And then uh, I find out an hour before I checked out of the hotel that all my flights were canceled again because of snow. And so I was like, what am I supposed to do now? I'm never going to get out of this state. I'm going to have to walk back. Uh, I even thought about my, I called my mom and she was like, well, you're in Missouri. Why don't you just rent a car and just drive down to Arkansas and then you can fly out of Memphis. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll do that. But all the roads were so icy. It was like, well, I can't drive on the roads now because I don't want to wreck. And then literally 30 minutes before checking out of the hotel, the airline calls and they're like, oh, your flights are back on. Please be at the gate early. And it's like, well, you, you know, like this, it's a drive to the airport. It's not a quick, you know, get there. Right. So I get to the airport rushing. I'm driving on ice, get there. And then they cancel my flight again at the airport. Oh, my so goodness. I was just like, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. So I waited at the airport for like another like two hours. And I, at this point, I was like, I'm just going to walk to Arkansas. I can't be that bad. Right. And they finally opened up the runway to, for me to catch a flight to go back to Chicago um, and connect, go back to South Carolina. And once I finally got out of Missouri, I was like, I feel like something's trying to keep me here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> then I get to Chicago and my flight gets canceled in Chicago again because oh. they can snow. And I was like, man, this is this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it was, great, it was a great experience. And I was like, how many flights can one person get canceled in one day? And I think I might have hit the record. That's, oh my goodness. No, I, I remember talking to you in the lot, like I just out off the lobby. Yeah. And, and I think like it was about like everything you're telling me was about to happen. Like, I, I think that's where we were. So I don't, th- I didn't know. I don't think I knew about what was coming, but I, I think you, you had said something like there's weather's kind of weird. I'm not sure. I think, yeah. you know, like you were still like in a, in a relatively good headspace because you didn't know what was coming <laughs> very shortly. Yeah. The, the, the crazy thing is when I landed in South Carolina, uh-huh. I uh, it's like a 40 minute drive to my house. Mm-hmm. When I got home, I unpacked and I slept for two hours uh-huh. because I had to be in Georgia to present at the Georgia Music Education Conference the next morning. <laughs> and it's about a three and a half hour drive from my house. Uh-huh. And so I was just like, I am I'm going to be dead tired. Yeah. Because it's like I didn't sleep very well, didn't sleep on a plane, then I had to drive home, repack, take a nap, get back in the car and drive to go present again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that was that was that was a rough weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it made, goodness. it made me evaluate how I book presenting at conferences because it's like before Missouri I had actually, I went to, I think it was in Nebraska somewhere before. And then mm-hmm. I came to Missouri and then it was like Georgia. And they were all in that same week. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, never again. I'm, I got to give myself some time in case uh, weather right. delays take place. You can, you can just present like once a year. Like, like that's fine. I'll go to one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting emails now uh, about conferences and I'm, I'm yeah. making sure that they're spaced out enough um, that will give me some time to recuperate <laughs> before I have to go back out and speak again. 
Yeah. No, that's that's the right move. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's wild. How do you decide to go to uh, Arkansas, University of Arkansas, for undergrad? Um, originally, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I I I, I loved going to, like I said, the Southern Hedges Classic, to the HBCUs, going to UAPV. Yep. Uh, and eventually, one of my best friends, he um, was in band with me. We're on the drum line together. And he kind of talked me into going to Arkansas to do this audition. And what really kind of grasped me to go to the University of Arkansas was once they explained the different uh, percussionists that I would get to be involved with um, on a yearly basis, uh, you know, we, I worked with Mark Ford, Shi Wu, um, you know, names like that every year they were coming in to do right. uh, clinics and master classes with us. Yep. Uh, also, it was the opportunity to play on national TV for the Razorbacks. Uh, so obviously drum set player, the head drum set player for the men's for three, three of the four years that I was there. And I did, um, I was the head drum set player for women's basketball for all year round too. So I knew most of their games are going to be televised. So that was like a big incentive there. Yeah. Um, getting to play, getting the opportunity to play on TV, getting to travel. Yep. Um, and then of course the, the scholarship money came into, you know, being one of the big determining factors as well. Um, and they paid for my entire tuition to go to school. Oh, and nice. so I knew that would help my parents out a lot. I would still be in Arkansas. It was only about four and a half hour drive from home. So right. far enough away, but not too far away um, at the same exact time. And knowing that my best friend was also going to school there was, uh, you know, that was essential um, into determining which school I was going to attend. Yeah, it's now that you mention it, you're because Memphis is the east eastmost part, right, yeah. of Arkansas. And then Fayette, Fayetteville, excuse me, is northwest corner. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and I, I've I've been there um when they had the National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy conferences that um Chow was hosting. Uh, that was the first time I had been to Ark to, to that town, and I was like, "This town is pretty cool, actually." Yeah. Oh, and man, you know, it's it grew so much the entire time that I was there because the Walmart corporate office is there. Right. Um, we've got all these other big trucking. JB Hunt is there, and they all put a lot of money into the University of Arkansas. Yeah. Um, as well, so I got to meet a lot, a lot of famous people that came in for those shareholders meetings. Um, that the drumline got to perform for um, as well. So that that was also a great uh, thing that made me glad that I went to school there. I've gotten to meet a lot, so many famous people, um, so many opportunities to perform with the band and with just the drumline. Yeah. And again, like I said, the traveling aspect as well. Yeah. I I had a, a good a friend of mine that I went to college with. His He works for someone within the Walmart Sam's Club kind of universe in Bentonville and he was explaining that you know because of how um like you're saying so many people come in to that area he's like it it ends up having like every type of restaurant and oh, every yeah. like it's 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 he's like it's so much better than you would ever think basically exactly but <laughs> the universe of Arkansas it, it gave me open up a lot of doors for me mm -hmm. uh performance wise uh learning wise as percussionist that I don't think I would have gotten at some other schools um so when they were offered all those things and then I did other auditions at other universities, you know, I was able to ask those type of questions. Yeah. Would I be able to work with 
you know, these type of artists? Do you bring in these people for master classes? And some flat out said no. Some said, you know, there'll be a possibility. But I knew for a fact that they're going to be there at the University of Arkansas. Yeah. Um, and that was essential to me because I wanted to make sure I got a great education. Um, it had a lot of different um, great experiences as well. And, you know, it opened up a lot of doors for me. And that kind of led to me going to Texas Tech mm-hmm. as the assistant director uh, was a percussionist. And he had did his master's at Texas Tech University. So um, as I got closer to graduating, he actually, you know, we had a talk and he did the pep bands and got me thinking about, you know, going to graduate school because I was going to just take a job back here in my hometown um, at the middle school that I went to. And he was like, dude, you got so much talent. You should just go get your master's degree because trust me, if you start working, you're not going to want to give up all that money to go back to school. And so he made a phone call, uh, got to meet with Dr. Rogers, uh, Mr. Shin down at Texas Tech, um, did an audition and they awarded me with a TA shift um, to do drumline, um, taught steel band, uh, which again turned out to be even you know more than what I could have even asked for and the mm-hmm. amount of people that I got to work with. Um, since I was over the work with the second steel band, which was more or less a first year members, um, I got to do a lot of arranging. Uh, mm-hmm. We play a lot of my arrangements for that group and Dr. Rogers allowed me to just kind of have free will. Um, I got to meet Jeff Moore Mm-hmm. at the uh, percussion ped- pedagogy conference. I uh, yep. picked him up from the airport um, to pick his, I wanted to pick his brain. Sure. And, and um, to get to talking about arranging and he was literally said, email me one of your arrangements tonight. If I think it's good, we'll talk tomorrow. And so um, I was like, oh, great. What's the worst that could happen? Emailed him an arrangement. We met the next day uh-huh. and he talked to me about the structuring and layout of it how it should look if I was going to send it to a publishing company. Mm-hmm. And I had actually did um, Dreaming with a Broken Heart by John Mayer. I had heard it on a TV a show that I was watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next thing I know, I go back in, I redo all these edits that he wants. And he sends an email, has me a cop, uh, attached to it with uh, Dave Black uh, with Alpha Publishing Company. He's like, Dave, we got to publish this piece for steel drums. It's a nice ballad melody. And next thing I know, I had a contract and I was, I was like, what just happened? This all just happened in like two days. And, you know, I started publishing for Alpha Publishing Company, mm-hmm. uh, Steel Drum Music and Percussion Ensemble uh, from that point on. And now I've been publishing with Kindor Music, uh, all original compositions for the last uh, like two or three years. And so that one, you know, volunteering to pick somebody up from the airport, to, you know, I know I was going to have about 40 minutes in a car with him to just pick his brain, you know, led to me becoming a published author meeting other people, me getting to do other clinics, uh, directors have me come in to teach their percussion groups. So, you know, it was the the experiences that I was able to gain, you know, from those small things at those institutions, which opened up uh, so many other doors for me as well. Yeah. I mean, man, the best lesson, right, is it's like, you know, if it's like pick up uh, guest stars from the airport, uh if, if you have a chance to go to go to eat with them, do that, you know, like these are critical time. Like it, it's one of those things. I don't know that we, we think quickly enough that how important those non, you know, it's one thing to do a masterclass with somebody, you know, that's one way to interact with them, but actually like have a, per, like a more personal connection can be even more important. 
right. Being in a car with somebody who is light years ahead of where I wanted to be yeah. at the time, you know, I, you don't even have to pay for it. You know, it's free. Right. And I, I purposely drove slow, too, on the way back because I wasn't <laughs> sure had enough time uh, to answer all the questions that I had. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you know, you can't, like I said, you can't pay for those experiences. You, yeah, you get them when you, they come in to do master classes. but, you know, when you're, I don't want to say trapped in a vehicle with them, but when you're in a vehicle with them, uh, again, or you go out to eat with them, yeah. um, you have their undivided attention. You know, it's, it's great uh, to learn, you know, you can't learn those things. Um, and I think it goes back again to all those times me being in those clubs in which I had to greet this person in the parking lot, show them around here, around campus. You know, it, again, it made me more personable and know what type of questions to ask because I knew what I wanted. Um, and, you know, I'm just you know, blessed that he was willing to share all of his knowledge and experiences with me. And now I find myself doing the same exact thing when I go to places to speak, do clinics and master classes. Um, you know, I enjoy that part, that part even more of just answering questions about life or how do I get to here? How do I do this? How do I do that? Um, with younger students who I know are going to be the future of education. So, uh, again, yeah, like I said, all those things in the past, I didn't know how they were going to benefit me now. And now I really see how important that they are uh, for me to be able to get to do that. So any opportunity I get to pick up people from the airport, take them out to eat or anything like that, I'm always like jumping forward because I know that I have a wealth of questions I'm going to ask. and I know I'm going to learn so much from those people. Oh, it's great advice. And I, I appreciate the kind of you also making the connection between being, you know, like the person who drove Jeff, uh, Jeff Moore from the airport, then uh, being the person who's presenting and interacting. Because um, when I mentioned Javon Milford at, at Allen, and then I also had Thomas Spann Jr. recently on as well, um, they were both they both saw me play um, 15 years ago when I did a recital at Benedict. And what I remember about that particular performance, I mean, the performance went fine, I, I think. But but I remember just chatting with students for like an hour after the performance, just getting to know, hear the story and talking to them. And, you know, it's cool to know that 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 like that actually mattered to them. Yeah. Um, they remembered that. And I remember it like and, and it, it, it it's. So it's just like like you you don't know right you don't know who's who's gonna find you at Midwest in ten years and be like uh, I was in the audience for you know this presentation you did yeah I, I get you know I still have that that wow factor every time I do a clinic at a music education conference because so many people even to this day still contact me I always give my email address out at the end yep and they ask questions or they want to have meetings. Um, and even with this pandemic, a lot of teachers have called, hey, can you Skype in or Zoom in and give a lecture about this or that uh, or just give advice? So <clears throat> I'm always still like, wow, I can't believe people are so taken by the things that I'm giving to them. You know, being this young kid from this small town um, that's not known for you know, producing you know, great top level people in certain industry areas. Um, you know, I'm getting to do all these things. Um, so it's, it is very amazing and very humbling um, at the same exact time. Um, and like you said, you know, going from, all right, yeah, hey, I'll pick up Jeff Moore from the airport. Is that's OK? Cool. To now people are like they tell me, I, hey, we were so excited to get to pick you up. 
we got some time. Can we ask you actually about this? And I'm just like, man, you know, it's gone completely full circle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going from being in the driver's seat to now I'm in the passenger seat a- answering questions. Um, and hopefully, you know, the things I say will impact someone. And one day they'll be in the passenger seat and it'll come full circle for them as well. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. You know, when you were at backing up a sec to both, both what undergrad and master's, what kinds of things in terms of educate, in terms of kind of specific to percussion teaching and learning, were you, did you pick up from studying with, with Lisa and Alan and then Chow and you know, whoever before that? Yeah. Well, well, Mr. Ragsdale, he was great about understanding the musical concept of just connecting with everybody. Um, and that was my, probably my biggest downfall because I was great with Here's some music. I want to learn this music. I'm going to do everything I can to learn it. And then I'm going to play it. Yeah. But the idea of connecting with other people through the music or connecting with them to teach the music was something I definitely was, you know, not as great at. Yeah. Um, and it's something I still think I'm still learning uh, even to this day um, with Mr. Shan um, and Dr. Rogers at Tech. They were very big on the, the musical aspect of bringing being the best performer possible you know, pulling the audience into every single note that you play um, as a percussionist um, and also having me realize how much more challenging it is as a percussionist to be musical the entire time. Right. Um, a lot of people look at it that we just hit things and sounds come out. But there's right. so we, we I was able to dig a lot deeper into the mechanics of hitting things and how to properly hit things. Right. Uh, what part of the mallet to use, what part of the stick to use, the techniques, the fulcrum, um, wrists, fingers, all those type of things there. So um, I gained so much experiences from multiple different perspectives, which is um, something else that made me very glad that I went to a different school and didn't just stay um, at Arkansas. Because at one point I wanted, I was considering just staying and doing my master's at Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad I was taught to go somewhere else so that I can gain perspective and knowledge from a uh, different set of people who thought completely differently, not necessarily wrong, but just giving me a completely different perspective. Yeah. So even now when I teach my students, I'm able to pull from the three percussion, main percussion instructors that I had from undergrad and grad school to give them information that they can use that's going to better them um, as percussionists as they go through this track. So those are the kind of the main key things that I was able to definitely learn and pull um, the mechanics of actually teaching, the mechanics of pulling your audience into your music, uh, the mechanics of how your body actually works and functions within itself of learning the music and, and pro- being a performer um, at the same time. Yeah, no, that, that's 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 great. What was do you remember some of the lit that you were playing as a kind of as a solo artist during the, these degrees? Uh, I remember the, the, one of my most favorite solos that I played at Texas Tech, I played, uh, Land, mm. um, Five Locker Hermit solo. Yeah. And, um, the one thing Mr. Shen had me do, uh, when I first heard the piece, I thought it was just amazing, but it had me think about the idea of being in a new land, which I was, I've never lived in Texas, mm-hmm. particularly that far out in Lubbock, Texas, where, yeah. you know, there's just mostly dirt. Right. Um, <laughs> Right. So I was able to incorporate my own experiences and life experiences and incorporate that into the music mm-hmm. um, that which was which is amazing. Uh, and the, the piece worked out great. In undergrad, we played so many different pieces constantly. Uh, Mr. Ragsdale's a big Granger fan. Yeah. 
So we've did a lot of different. I think I learned more about Granger than I ever would have from with oh. any other school. Oh, absolutely. Um, from percussion ensemble arrangements to solo arrangements. Uh, but it taught me a whole lot of things too, as far as the arranging portion of for arranging for percussion. Mm-hmm. And but land was probably still the, the one of my favorite pieces that I was able to perform yep. um, the entire time in graduate school of all the pieces because I just I mean it sounds great uh, it's an amazing piece um that and beads of glass I did that for one of my recitals yep. um or some of the pieces that I still every now and then I'll pick up and just kind of you know diddle through a little bit um I mean it's just it's great literature music. Um, I did a was able to do a lot of things. Uh, theatric number one by Casey King Alessi mm-hmm. with one of my uh, other good friends at my senior recital for graduate school uh, using the Roto Toms. <laughs> and um, I think uh, I think it was the last piece, uh, Raga number two, Tiffany. I'll be a con. One other piece I did. Um, so both of the schools, again, they, they open up one my world to brand new percussion music. Uh, but also uh, playing literature that uh, was well beyond the scale that, you know, if you would have told me when I first started that I would be performing, I never thought I would be able to do that. Um, playing four mallets for me was like, I can do two really good, but you want me to do four? I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. So having teachers who worked with me um, to help me develop that technique and that skill set, uh, you know, really, I think, has set me, you know, above and beyond from a lot of other percussionists because, a lot of people they don't they don't learn mallets. A lot of my students that come in, they they never play mallets. They just right. play drums for the entire time when they're in high school, middle school. Yep. So I'm opening their world, you know, their mind to a brand new world of percussion, which is also you know fun. And again, even though I'm doing the same thing, it's different each and every single day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and and then once you start, once you like kind of break through the first that first kind of wave of, of, uh, formal stuff. You're like, this is fun. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's so much good music here. <laughs> yeah. Yellow after the rain was my first formal solo that I played in undergrad. Yeah. And, um, and at one point I was just like, after hearing so many people play it, I was like, I don't want to play this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but after playing it and studying it, you're learning that the, the basic, basic skills that you need for playing formality are all incorporated into that incorporated into that one piece um it made learning other formality pieces a lot easier right right oh yeah for sure um now while this is all going on at what point how much uh while you're doing your undergrad and your master's are you picking up the band uh techniques to to do that part of of what has become your job the last couple, yeah. you know, last bunch of years. So in uh, an undergrad, uh, you remember we said I did drum set for the basketball games. Yeah. Uh, we would normally have, you know, the drum set player, two bass drummers, two snare drummers, uh, and one uh, quint player and two yeah. cymbal players. That was our percussion. So we had a massive percussion section for basketball band, mm. uh, which I love because we got to do so many creative things. Yeah. But I remember I arranged a uh, the song Jump On It for the band. Um, at Arkansas, and uh, wait, who, who, wait, that's who's who's that by? Um, I know that song. I'm throwing a blank. Uh, but uh, Tonto, not Tonto, but um, I, I'm gonna sing it, which is gonna sound terrible. But uh, you know, stop, bump, dump, da da bump, da da da. So that song there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's like Apache, right? 
Yeah, yeah, Pat, yes, yeah. I arranged that for the band and they let me conduct it. Oh, nice. And that first experience of conducting it was just like, this feels pretty good being in front of this many people um, and being around the music. But I never thought that I could do it because I didn't think I could manage that many people at one time. Right. And I had a lot of directors tell me, oh, you can do it. It's not a big deal. So during basketball games, uh, Mr. Pratchett, was his, Jeremy Pratchett was his name, um, used to let me come down and direct the band doing basketball band mm. um, at times, um, doing the pregame stuff, um, a few songs during halftime, and one of the other professionals would hop on the drum set and just play. Um, and I really started to, to really like it and enjoy it then. And then once I got to Texas Tech, um, I used to um, get asked to get on the ladder, the back ladder, and direct conduct the band, which I didn't think I was really doing much because, you know, the drum line is basically leading the band at that point. Mm-hmm. doing rehearsal but you know I started to realize I could see myself being on the ladder being in front of a large ensemble constantly yeah. um you know it's outside of my box so I know it's gonna be something I'm gonna have to constantly study and be prepared for each and every single day I'm not gonna be able to just wing it right um, I have to put in the work which made me feel that you know I'm never gonna get bored with it because I'm always gonna have something new and challenging to do each day right and so when I started applying for jobs, I was just applying for percussion gigs, but I could only get adjunct job offers. And the first job offer at Eastern Oklahoma State College was a full-time job. And at that point, um, I was married and my wife and I found out that we were expecting our first child. So I was like, I should probably get a real full-time job with benefits to pay yeah. for this. Yes. <laughs> you know, this kid we're about to have. Yep. So um you know, I took that band job and man, I, I really just loved it. And I quickly realized that, you know, I could manage it. Um, it was just as fun as just teaching percussion. Mm-hmm. I was still getting to do percussion and it just opened up a whole other set of doors and things for me to be able to do. Um, and new experiences, get to meet a whole lot of new people. But it literally started for me arranging that one song. Um, and I arranged it because I was taking arranging at the time um, mm-hmm. for band. And I was just like, well, let, let me just try to arrange some of the fun things that I like doing and just go from yeah. there. I had already been writing drum books um, since I was in high school. So that was easy. But understanding the concept of the wind instruments, the transpositions, um, things like that, it yeah. made me think extremely different as a percussionist mm-hmm. uh, when it came to writing. Oh, yeah. When you get this job in Oklahoma, uh, well, first of all, how, how long are you there? Um, I was at Eastern two years. What do you realize when you get, when you now are the in charge of band <laughs> on your own, <laughs> right out of the masters? Yeah. <laughs> I quickly learned I had a lot of work to do because <laughs> um, the good thing is they didn't have football, but they did have basketball. So we did concert band year round and mm-hmm. we did a lot of pep band stuff. Yep. Um, but we were doing pep band, even though we didn't have football, we had baseball. We were doing pep band at baseball games. Oh, yeah. And women basketball games. And the men and women played basketball on the same night. So yes. yeah. that, was, uh, that was a lot. <laughs> From teaching all day and then basketball all night and then having to redo it, baseball the next day. You know, I had a lot of students would have been a junior college in a very small town. I think the population was like, 1,100 people in the town at that time. Mm. Um, everybody knew who you were when you were in that town. It yeah. was very family-oriented, so I did enjoy that part of it. Um, so I learned quickly I had to do a lot 
a lot of teaching, particularly I had students who were still kind of on a beginner level when they came to the college. Um, the thing that helped me out is I was also volunteering. I lived in McAllister, Oklahoma, and Wilberton is only like 30 minutes from McAllister. Mm-hmm. So I worked with McAllister High School with Sean DeNike um, and the band directors there. So I was able to learn a lot of things from those guys and pick up a lot of teaching uh, ways yeah. while from working with those students. And even though I was writing the drum book for McAllister, they were also letting me teach sectionals to the, a lot of the wind players. Right. So I was really kind of honing in on those music ed classes that I learned in undergrad, mm-hmm. things to do, what not to do, and right. within my own program. The thing I loved the most, though, was that being that I was a small program, I was the head person. I had the kind of free range to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So we were able to expound upon um, different music, uh, playing a lot of different songs. Um, to get the students accustomed to playing, I started this thing where we would do tours at all the local elementary schools first. Um, the students felt better. They felt like they weren't getting judged by the older students who were those good, top, mature players at the high schools. Um, so that worked out good, getting them in front of small groups. And then we moved up eventually to doing middle school kids the second year. Uh, we did a few high schools before I left the school. But it, it taught me, uh, again, about managing the program, all the things that we need to do with balancing scholarship budgets or yeah. just your general operational budget, booking buses, um, planning um, for the pep band event. What songs are you going to play? How much should your band be playing? Mm-hmm. Uh, when to stop playing because they're starting to sound bad because they're tired? Um, build, yeah. Building traditions of what songs do the, the fans want to hear on a constant basis. Um, and I was able to take all those things into uh, when I took the job at HBU. The good thing with HBU is they had never had a marching band. They always had a concert band before they did away with instrumental music. Yeah. So I was able to invent everything from scratch, all the traditions. Yeah. Um, so the students were happy about that as well because they knew that their footprint was going to start what the band program would be for years to come. Yeah. Um, and so we really I really enjoyed my time at HBU uh, with the students that I have. I'm actually still in contact with a lot of the students who went to HBU. And uh, it was great. HBU was actually a little bit easier in the sense that majority of the kids came from great high schools in Houston area. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few kids who had actually did DCI. So learning music was not a problem. The next thing for me was writing drill because I wrote all the drill for the band right. at HBU. So that was a new challenge and new task uh, for me each uh, and every day. And also getting the concert band back going and performing um, and doing many things, which led to me building new things here at South Carolina State. Um, We know the marching band is always a big component. And I want the entire music ensembles to be just as important. So I had a goal for us to be at SCMEA and perform. And actually, right before COVID hit, um, the wind ensemble, was selected to perform at SCMEA. We actually performed at SCMEA for the first time ever in school history, which was great. Um, So, and it opened the eyes of all the other students because as soon as we did that performance, they were like, can we do it again? I wanna wanna learn more music. Uh, We can work harder so that we can come back. We should do small ensembles. We should do this. And so the students really started to buy in because they were exposed to something that the program had never been exposed to. Uh, especially something outside of the uh, marching band world, seeing all those people show up to hear you play concert literature uh, was a very big deal, um, especially from 
you know, we were playing, you know, we did Chester, mm-hmm. uh, of course, one of the standards, which is a, a very difficult piece, uh, particularly for ensembles that were used to only playing, you know, maybe grade three music for concert ensembles. And, you know, that come in, it's like, we're going to do Chester. We're going to do all these other grade five, six pieces of music. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to break things down theoretically for right. the music majors to open up their eyes. I was able to get all the music uh, majors involved by having them lead warm-ups with the ensemble. Uh, and I also had them talk through different sections of all the other music that we were playing. So they were able to start using those skills that they are currently learning instead of having to wait until they get a job and then try to apply everything at the same exact time. Right. So I've been able to use a little bit of some of everything from all the schools and places I've been um, to help me, you know, be successful uh, with all the institutions that I've been able, that I'm currently leading. Um like I say, every day is a brand new challenge, something new. And now I can't think of what it would be like for me not being, honestly, a director of bands um, because I've just gotten so used to it. Um, and I'm still going to do percussion at the same time. And it's just, you know, it's good. Again, it's out of my comfort zone. So it keeps me keeps me on my toes. And I know every day is going to be a challenge, like I said. But it sounds like you don't mind being out of your comfort zone. You like, you actually enjoy that process yes i do uh the one thing my my mom always told me if you ever become comfortable with what you're doing you're gonna start to do it wrong um so i love the idea that every day i'm having to think differently i can never think the same even if i'm doing the same thing you know i'm doing it with a different group of students so i always have to find new ways to connect with them and to you know teaching methods are different every day Yep. So I, I I do enjoy it. Like I said, nothing's ever the same. And if it was the same, like I said, I would worry that I'm getting too comfortable and then I would start to make mistakes. And I, I don't like to make mistakes. I'm not a perfectionist, but I like to know that things that I'm doing are working. Um, right. So I'm always developing backup plans just in case I need to um, do something different. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't mind being you know out of my comfort zone. It's great. I think everybody should be that way, particularly if you're a musician. Um, I think it keeps you keeps you on your toes. It keeps you looking for new ways on how to do things and new ways to just be innovative. Yeah. And the other thing is that it, even if you feel like you're like you're pretty good at, at teaching because, you, you know, you've done it for a while, even having refreshers on what you think you're good at, you'll you'll figure out you're like, all right, that's actually that, that's actually a new technique I could do. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Um, and so, it's, it's, like I said, it's, re- it's real interesting to, you know, the path I've been able to take. But I think all the things that I was able to participate in growing up really helped set me up again for, you know, the position that I'm in now. Because I do deal with a lot of, like I said, a lot of it is administrative work. So um, being able to make those connections with high levels administrators uh, on a constant basis. Uh, I, I, I literally credited going back to just meeting other high-level administrators as a middle school student mm-hmm. and just having, you know, normal conversations with them about how do we improve the school? How can we do this? How can we do that? And now I'm just the person that's not only suggesting it, but developing plans of action to make those things happen. Patrick, I finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Okay. All right. First question, first couple of questions are not random, but first one is what's an issue in either percussion education or band education, since you do both, that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? 
when just being specific with percussion is students not getting a well-rounded introduction to all the percussion instruments at an early age. So by the time they get to college for those who want to be music majors, they've only been exposed to just snare drum. Um, I get a lot of students who, I, who want to audition to be music majors and it's like, I just play bass drum. I just play snare drum yeah. and they're, they're not, they don't have that exposure and I can't blame them for it. Right. Um, but that, that's probably the biggest thing that I feel um, in that sense. When it comes to full band wise, I'm going to say just have been exposed to other literature besides marching band um, is the, the biggest issue. Um, so students are capped off with playing a limited range of notes, limited range of rhythms, and it doesn't allow them to be, you know, fully exposed to be a true musician that they could actually become. Yeah. Do you, is this a thing, either, either of those items, do, do you talk to other, um, like to local band directors about that? I mean, is this a thing that, or, or percussion, like, is this a thing that, that comes up on a regular basis that you're, you're saying to, that you're all saying to each other? Uh, yes. Um, this is a lot of things. Some directors, they, are now becoming, since being in South Carolina, more open to having me come in to work with their percussions to give them that full range. A lot of directors do feel that they have some students who only want to play snare drum because they think that's the only thing they need to do. Right. But trying to get those students exposed to it in that sense. Um, marching band is a big, big, big component in South Carolina. Um, it's one of the things that keeps students interested. So that's why a lot of directors only focus on marching band. Um, but it still limits, you know, the growth of the student overall, particularly the ones who want to be, you know, music educators. All right. Next question. Uh, take this wherever you want to go. Being an African-American in the band, in the band world, in the percussion world, and thinking of all of the, the various places that you've done this. Your thoughts? Uh, it is uh, challenging um, for, for that sake. Uh, which is also another reason why I wanted to get the doctorate degree. I felt that it will, would give me a little bit more respect, um, particularly showing that I not only could perform, but also had the knowledge content to speak knowledge about the many different subject areas. Mostly all the places that I've been have been in predominantly white areas uh, from Eastern and also at HBU. There have been a lot of things that I've had to encounter and deal with from basically being told I don't know enough because I am African-American or being questioned of how I know certain things because I am African-American, which is, you wouldn't think that someone would just blatantly come out and say that to you, um, but those are things that I've had, literally had people ask me, how is it that a black person knows what you know? Um, and it's like, God, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I do have a few college degrees. Uh, I've been exposed to a lot of different things. So and, being able to and, not, and not even that, but you'd be like, do you see that you've heard of University of Arkansas, right? You've heard of <laughs> exactly. Texas Tech? You've heard of these places, right? Okay, I just want to make sure that you are aware. <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm not saying it's the most challenging thing in the world, but I I just I for me it's been a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one that I've always, I'm, I'm happy to accept that challenge, you know, um, mm. 
and and continue to, to I guess like I said, prove myself um, to other people, but just set an example for younger African-American males that are coming up that maybe are told they can't get into this field. Um, I do remember from one of my experiences, uh, I'm not gonna call the names, but picking up an, uh, a guy from an airport and picking his brain as well. And I mentioned, you know, I wanna be a college professor. Um, and he flat out told me, you, you won't, ne you'll never get to that. And when I asked why, and he literally said, well, you're young right now and you're gonna be a lot older. And some of the other factors that are against you is you're not white, you don't have a doctorate yet, and nobody knows who you are. So you should just pick a middle school job and be happy with that. Oh my and God. that was the most awkward car ride ever. <clears throat> Unlike the car ride I had with Jeff Moore, I drove yeah. extremely fast. So being discredited a lot as a young African-American male that's looking to impact um, the lives of many students, yeah. whether black, white, Hispanic, it didn't, it doesn't matter to me, um, is important. Um, so I've I've seen how music affects students. Uh, when I I've gone to Guatemala and did some time there, which is basically like a third world country in some aspects, and seeing how music brings joy to people, um, yeah. lets me know that you know I'm doing the right things. So I, I again you know, I accept the challenges that come with being a young African American male in a I don't know if we want to call it a predominantly white dominated area, mm -hmm. um, but having the degrees and the experiences and just the knowledge base and the support group from um, a lot of outside people lets me know that things are going to be okay. You're always going to have difficult people to deal with, uh, but you just have to stay professional and continue to move forward and just trust that things will go well. And like I said, when you see the lives that you've actually impacted um, in many different ways, uh, it lets you know that you are doing you know, the right thing. Yeah. Do you think about, okay, let, so let's think about this conversation now <laughs> because you felt a way that you could, that you could hear that and just be like, I'm just never gonna list like, Whoever this is is never going to be a part of my life or or I'm never going to have any interest in that. But you could see how someone could hear that and just be like, well, this is a waste of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's real easy to see how someone can be influenced by it. It's a good thing I'm not easily influenced by things that people say. Mm -hmm. Um because I, I've, I've been around enough people from all different races, different cultures to see, again, that hard work does really pay off. Um, so, I, I've, again, my, my stepfather always told me, people are going to talk about you, whether you're doing good, whether you're doing bad. You got to just believe in yourself that you're doing the right thing and not not worry about what the thoughts of people, what they're going to say, because... They're going to talk about you while you're alive. When you die, they're still going to talk about you. So why waste your good years that you have living, worrying about negative things that people have to say about you? And that's why I'm able to just move forward from it. Um, because like I said, I, I like to think that I'm setting an example for all the younger African-American men and women who are coming up that maybe want to be in this field to say, you know, hey, he's only 33 right now, and he is the director of bands of predominantly Division One, historically black university. 
But you look at all the other places I've traveled to China, Guatemala, other Mexico, South America, I've presented at conferences all over the United States um, to the point where I have to turn down speaking presentations because I don't have time to do them. So it, it again, it just shows that people will respect you for what you do when you show them that you are serious about the field and area that you're studying um, and that you mean well. So, you know, one negative comment here and there doesn't bother me uh, whatsoever. Actually, I, I, I get a good laugh out of it because um, I always said I must be doing something extremely well for people to want to talk negative about what I'm doing. So I, I just take it from there. That's that's awesome. You know, what was the, the experience like of being in all of these predominantly white spaces for so long? Um, and I didn't even ask you what your the racial makeup of your high school was, but you know, you've been in these predominantly white spaces to then go to a historically black college. Like what was, what was that transition like mentally? It wasn't necessarily culture shock for me because mm -hmm. I, you know, I travel so much. I see so many different things. So it, it was okay. I knew the culture would be slightly different compared to what I was accustomed to living every single day. Um, it was culture shock for my son, my oldest son. He went from being one of two African-American children in his school classroom to be, you know, majority of everyone is, you yeah. know, African-American. Um, the languages there, you know, everyone's slang is a little different compared to where you live. So that was a little bit of a change. Um, the hardest thing for me since being at South Carolina State was, again, exposing students to things that they have maybe have never thought about being exposed to. Mm -hmm. um, and getting people to accept being exposed to those type of things because it's not the normal way of doing things or it's not the normal way of thing to be exposed to at that time. So that was kind of the shocking thing um, is having that resentment of people not being completely open to those type of, you know, new ideas and new ventures. But I'm slowly seeing it, you know, come into you know fruition where people are willing to have those. One of the things I mentioned in, in some of the clinics I do is I always tell people you, you it's not actually your band program until about year three, year four for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Because you've got to cycle through all of the, you know, the people who were here with the past guy or yep. the woman and they what they're used to. And usually around year three, you've brought in one or two classes of people that you get to mold to think the way how you want things to be thought through and you don't have to win them over as, you know, it doesn't take as long to win them over. Right. So, uh, you know, last year or fall 19 was actually a great year for us with the band program because I brought in my own first class of students had exposed them to many different things, got to take most of them to SEMEA. Um, so they've, that's kind of like, that's the norm now. That's what they're looking forward to being able to do. Yeah. Um, and it's not just marching band, which is still a great thing, but it's, we're opening up new doors, new adventures, um, in that way. Um, so I, I you know, I leave it at that. that that's kind of the, the hardest, that was the hardest thing is getting people to adjust to that idea of this isn't normal. Should we accept this? Should we be okay with this? Or, or you know, keep fighting it well. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. I always think about um, when uh, Lamont Lawhorn at North Carolina and T brought his drum line and like blew everyone's mind. 
And then the drum line, all the, all the students in the drum line were like, so when are we coming back? You know, like, like five minutes after they finished playing, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is the expectation part. Like mm-hmm. he's like, all right, well, I mean, they want to clearly, this is fine. We, I, I'm ready to come back, you know? <laughs> and so that's what you do yeah, for your exactly. students. They're just like, all right, I guess this is on the schedule now. Even though we had the pandemic after SEMEA, um, and the pandemic hit, um, I had students was like, whoa, are they doing SEMEA next year? Can we go back? Like, even if we're not performing, can we just go back? Like, we want to meet people and yeah. have those connections. And it's like, I don't know. So when the conference was online, people were kind of bombed out about that. But uh, we still had a lot of students who became members of the Education Society. So, so they were still able to reach out and connect and go to a lot of different webinar clinics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping we are selected to get to play this upcoming February um again which would be you know great and if we do you know my plan is to have some type of a small ensemble at SMEA at least every other year because it's great exposure for the students yeah that's wonderful awesome uh has anyone ever nailed an impression of you and if so how they do it (laughs) uh yes so uh my students I had no idea that I have a apparently I have a certain way uh, when we're in rehearsal of how I just stand and look like I'm not talking and the students have always wondered like what is going on in his mind <laughs> and so they've they've learned like how all of my facial expressions now it's like a mom doesn't have to say anything to her child she can just look a certain way and they know exactly what to do <laughs> so there'll be certain times in rehearsal like I'll see certain students like they'll just stop playing and they'll just like arms folded and they're just staring off in the distance <laughs> And then when I look at them, then it's just like they break out laughing. Like, I don't even get mad at them because they know that's, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I've had students who have, uh, you know, because I'm from Arkansas, apparently, I say things a lot different from the way they do. So uh-huh. they had a talk like you from Arkansas Day. Uh, <laughs> time in rehearsal. Um, I've had students who, you know, they, they want to dress the way I dress, which you know, I wear a suit most days to work. Uh-huh. But every now and then, you know, I still grew up in the country some too. So I, I still wear cowboy boots and everything else like that. So, yeah. you know, they, they do all those type of things to, to try to bother and get to me. But, you know, it's all in fun um, and I, I enjoy it um, in, in that sense. But um and, you know, it lets me know that clearly things are going well where the students feel that comfortable that they want to mimic me and, yeah. you know, try to talk the way I talk and certain things like that, too. Um, so I, I enjoy it. I look at it as all fun. We get a kick out of it. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> all right. Uh, another question. What is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Man, you know, I, I think I'm the wrong person to ask what's a great movie because if if it's something that something is blowing up like every five minutes, in my mind, it's pretty much a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, got a, I got a lot of movies that, like, once I've seen them, I never need to see them again. But, ah, God, what I think is a great movie. Okay, this is going to sound, this is probably going to be weird, but I have DVD collections of The Lion King 1. Every Lion King movie that's ever been made. Um, even the ones from the Disney vault that are like extremely limited access, I have them. I will watch The Lion King any day of the week. Simply because I feel like, one, it's a good movie. 
Uh-huh. They're all good, but they all teach great life lessons. Yeah. Um, and so if I had to pick one movie that I just like had to watch, I would definitely watch The Lion King for sure. But other than that, if something blows up, somebody like I, I I'm all for it. So Die Hard <laughs> movies, ju- the concept of John Wick, an assassin who's retired that yeah. comes out of retirement because somebody killed his dog, yeah, and takes out a whole mob like that. That's a crazy idea. You, you would think about. I would watch that movie every day if I had the opportunity. <laughs> there's so much stuff blowing up in that movie that it just makes it amazing. It's outside the realm. It doesn't have anything to do with music, so it's fully oh, relaxing. Yeah. And you know that if it blows up, I'm probably gonna watch it, even if the dialogue is bad. Right. If something's blowing up every like it's like I have like ADD or something, like <laughs> out zone now, then it's like, ooh, explosion. Back to locked in. So, yeah. And my wife is always like, Find a different movie to watch. I'm like, why? This is great. Something's gonna, I know something's going to blow up in the next two minutes. So, like, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, we're, I was. Here's what, what you made me think of. This, this is this is killing me. I'm I'm like based practically crying. But um, John Wick is a great example of one where I think I think after the saw the first one, I, I was like, okay, when these come out, I have to go to the theater and see them. Like, yes. and and this is this is how I feel about Fast and Furious movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty much all the same. But so a, what? And it doesn't. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if I had to pick another, like if I had to pick a serious movie about life lessons, I would I would pick Remember the Titans. Oh yeah, I would pick that one. Yeah, uh, because it it actually showcased a lot of things that I think I dealt with growing up. Um, yeah. Being in a small town, um, working with so many different people, uh, being told uh, you speak so well to be your kind. Uh, you know, that movie shows showcases a lot of different things. But for the most part, if you tell me, hey, we're going to watch a movie and a lot of things are going to blow up in it. Dialogue is not going to be that great. It's just going to be fighting. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm sold. Yeah. Plain and simple. I don't even need to know the name of it. I'm just going to watch it. I'm telling yeah. you, it's gonna be, I'm going to be happy at the end, too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, you didn't give me a terrible movie though. Man, I mean, I've seen anything on Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, is that is that now is that is that something your wife watches? Is that why you, you uh, mentioned yeah. Lifetime? Yeah, yeah. My wife loves Lifetime movies. Mm. What is your go-to karaoke song? Because I have a few. Um, <laughs> That, that I really like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a song by an uh, artist named Nelly from St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, Country Grammar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's one of the ones I, I probably can remember every lyric off the top of my head from there. Yeah. Um, always go to jump on it because I can dance. And sure. There's not many lyrics in the song either as well. Uh-huh. Anything by Earth, Wind, and Fire, I pretty much know. Um, Stevie, Anything by Stevie Wonder also is going to be my go. main thing. Yeah. Uh, if I want to do more dancing, I definitely go to Michael Jackson. Uh, anything about Michael Jackson is going to be my 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 top hits. Um, then I also have got like, I actually really like Katy Perry uh, <laughs> songs. Um, yeah. So her big deal. I listen to a lot of John Mayer, um, Dave Matthews bands. Um, but th- th- those would be my kind of go to things. If you know, depending if I just want to sing something or if I want to dance to go along with it too, you know, I've got a few options. 
I, I'm 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 thrilled you said Stevie Wonder because for I mean he's maybe my favorite or, or you know up there and but the, I went saw at the Missouri Bandmasters was uh, a couple weeks ago and it was in person and they had a group Boston Brass that came and played and they were awesome but but the guy said uh, before they played something they would go um, this is by uh, I think the greatest composer of all time and it was a Bach piece but I looked at the thing I'm like wait they're playing Stevie Wonder I was like oh. <laughs> You know, uh, I listen to, I grew up listening to a lot of James Brown. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, here's here's the one thing I, a lot of people don't know. One of James Brown's drummers' uh, name is George Neely. Okay. George Spike Neely. George Spike Neely is actually on my staff at South Carolina State. Whoa! Um, he is one of my drill instructors that teaches a lot of different marching techniques. Um, really big fundamental guy. Um you know, with, does a lot of work with the band in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I call him the drill sergeant because everybody respects him. Um, he's always serious, straight to the point. Has lots of great stories about touring with James Brown. Oh boy! Yeah. Um, but it's it's great to have like a you know somebody of his caliber, you know, on your staff that I get to work with every single day. That's awesome. What when was he? Was he like a late one? One of his like last drummers? <laughs> Yeah. Well, he actually so he actually started with James Brown okay. um, as well. And then he stopped for a while and he started back touring. Apparently, the, the, the living members of the James Brown band still do summer tours overseas um, and do a lot of different performances and things like that. Um, That's awesome. So, again, it's, it's just great having him come in. He still goes down to Atlanta like some weekends and he's doing recording for other different artists. Mm-hmm. He just did a um, percussion soundtrack for Neo. He did a lot of Christmas soundtrack percussion work, nice. uh, auxiliary percussion work for a lot of uh, Atlanta-based artists. So, I mean, the guy's got connections everywhere. Yeah, uh, he's been all over the world performing. Oh, that's 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 awesome. Do you have a sports fandom? I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think I would as much as I watch sports because uh, I'm a big football fan. Yeah, NCAA and college. I'm still waiting for them to bring back NCAA for uh, Xbox or PlayStation. Yeah. I can buy that. Because, uh, of course, I love playing with my own college mm-hmm. to win because, you know, getting, Arkansas is getting better at football, but we've had a lot of a lot of down years. And, you know, I, I do watch a lot of basketball as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball and football are my main things. I got into soccer uh, while at HBU mm-hmm. as one of the parents um, decided – that I needed something to relax and de-stress from. So he bought me box tickets to the Houston Dynamo. Whoa. So um, I had season passes to Houston Dynamo um, in box seating. And first time I was like, I've only watched maybe, you know, maybe one or two soccer games. I don't really understand the sport. But when you're there live, it's completely different atmosphere. Um, And so now, you know, I watch soccer game, you know, pretty much anytime it's on TV. Mm. Um, Really like watching the Olympics, yeah. Um, particularly track. I love the gymnastics. So, you like I said, you would think I would have a fan doing, but I don't. I, mean, I think I just don't have that much time uh, sure. to look into it. But uh, any chance I'd get to watch anything sports related, I definitely will take the time to watch it. Yeah, I mean, and there's so much on, like with the particularly with the NBA Finals about to start tonight, and the Euros are wrapping up. I don't know if you've watched any of those. Yeah. Um, and the Wimbledon's going up. Like, I mean, there's like there's a whole lot. Right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And the Olympics about to start. 
All right. Uh, strangest, couple more. Um, strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. God, which one can I tell? <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> okay, most bizarre moment was seeing a kid get his shirt set on fire in the middle of a performance. What? <laughs> so I was in I was in high school, and we were doing this, we were doing a band performance, and I always tell educators now pay attention to your percussion section because if you leave them alone for two you don't pay them any attention for after a while, they're going to do weird things. <laughs> and we were, we're at, we're actually at a region band concert uh-huh. and we're performing. And this, this, you know, guest clinician for this week is up there three days. He had never said a single word to the percussion section the entire time Wow. of rehearsing. And while we're in the middle uh, before the performance, I remember one, this one kid goes, if what, if this guy wears that sweater, I'm going to set a sweater on fire. And you know we're all just kind of laughing about it. We're not playing. We're not paying attention. In the middle of playing the piece, you just hear like this little flick of a, of a lighter, and you're just kind of looking like, "What was that?" Keep going. Middle of the performance, this kid lights this other kid's sweater on fire, and now we're like, "Oh my god, what do we do?" Because we don't want to make a big commotion, but you see smoke coming out <laughs> the back of the percussion section. Oh and next God. thing you know, this kid lays on the ground and he's just rolling around back and forth trying to put the fire out. <laughs> oh, I remember the reason he said it. This kid wore this sweater every day that we were there. Uh-huh. And the other guy, he just couldn't stand it. He lit the kid's sweater on fire. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you lit someone's sweater on fire in the middle of a performance. Wow. The conductor never said anything about it. Oh, my God. And so I use that as an example for all my educators. And I go, hey. Pay attention to your percussion section because they might start lighting each other on fire. You never know. <laughs> oh, um, also, I'll throw this out there. I did a, uh, I did a, I was doing a little tour clinic, um, little performance and lecture on percussion. And at the end, this one lady, um, this one lady, like, pro- like she proposed to me at the end because the music made her so happy. And she was like, will you marry me? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm already married. And I was like, you're like old enough to be my grandma. And she was like, I don't care, but the music makes me so happy. I'll feed you some awesome <laughs> food, um, you know, as long as I play music, you know, and married her. Um, I've had those, those, those two things that definitely have happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> that's like you know you know if, if if you like if you can like contain yourself after hearing that it's like when you facetime your wife and you're like I, there's an offer that has just been made that i just want to make you aware of um, yeah you gotta, you gotta step it up look she's <laughs> yeah. like every day like all i gotta do is play music and i'm right good. yeah <laughs> or we can reel we can just reel this all in like, I mean, <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. All right, Patrick, last question. What one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything, etc., has impacted you the most recently? One thing I think that's impacted me the most recently is I started to research a lot of things about that Chopin had created. Mm-hmm. And it led me to looking at a lot of his quotes and things that he actually lives by. Um, 
And some of them really kind of resonated with me and made me think a lot. And I remember this one quote, uh, I hope I get this right, where he was saying something about he wished he could get rid of the bad thoughts that he had, but something in his mind intrigues him to continue to think about them. And it impacts, you know, the way how he develops and writes music. Mm -hmm. And so after reading all those different quotes and things and then going back and listening to many of his compositions, you can feel, you know, really the pain, the happiness, joy. You feel all these world round of emotions. And I've been able to I read a lot of those quotes, particularly when I'm starting to arrange a lot of you know new works and things, because I want my music to express um, the way I'm feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely use a lot of my own personal life events um, to write music. And uh, and that's one of the things I think I've been able to p- publish so much music um, doing, you know, in a short amount of time is because I have so many things I look back over life. Um, and I try to, like I say, incorporate and push all those things into into the writing. So reading a lot of quotes and things by Chopin has definitely been uh, something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately to incorporate in my music, um, whether it's, again, arranging or teaching. And I try to use some of these quotes to also inspire my students um, to let them know that even though things aren't going the way you want them to go, you got to always continue to keep pushing forward because, you know, the world is never going to stop. Um, even if you do, it's going to continue to keep moving. And, you know, I try to, like I, said, I try to use all those, those, ty- those type of things to motivate me, but also motivate others at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And if I remember correctly, well, first of all, Chopin was all, died at what, 39? I mean, it was pretty young. Yeah. And then if I remember correctly, was sick a lot of his life, right? Like, I mean, he was yeah. not actually in good health when he wrote a lot of this music. Yeah, yeah, he really wasn't. Um, and so it just showcased how, you know, great of an artist that I believe he actually was. You know, I think we can use all those things in life. Um, the actual quote, I just looked it up, it says, I wish I could throw off the thoughts which poison my happiness, but I take a kind of pleasure in indulging them. And that was one quote that... Um, after I read it, I was like, man, I feel that way a lot. And that it makes sense. And so listening to some of his music and it's like, you could tell that when he wasn't happy, but he couldn't get those thoughts out of his mind, but it made him a better musician because of all the things that were going on. And, um, you know, like I said, I can try to just use those to, you know, to my students. So I have like a list of like Chopin quotes and things that I read, not on a daily, but I, every now and then I will just kind of flip through them and, try to use those as, as a way of inspiration while taking my own life lessons and things and using those for inspiration as well uh, when writing or teaching. Yeah. And not only that, but he also, it shows the importance of, of having people who you want to collaborate with because List, if I'm not mistaken, premiered a lot of his late works because Chopin was too sick to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and that, that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons I like, you know, teaching, you know, history and you know, music and things, because there's so many other things that took place that didn't necessarily involve music that we could use, um, to make us better musicians. Um, so I love learning, you know, life lessons that they learned. And, you know, like I said, some of these guys, are, they died very young Yeah. and just imagine what music would have been if they would have had another 20, 30 years. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's all over the place. Like, I mean, the big, to me, the biggest example is Mozart. Um, Cause imagine, cause when I've taught, I don't know if you've gotten to, to teach like music, whenever you get the chance to like teach or talk about music history, the thing I always think about is imagine if Mozart lived long enough to hear what Beethoven was, was like, what Beethoven starts doing and then what Mozart would have written. Like it's <laughs> yeah, like that kind of stuff. Exactly. And that, that, that's, that's exactly how I feel about it now. So uh, there, there are certain poems and things that I, I do kind of read because I do love reading poetry as well mm-hmm. um, to try to gain inspirations from uh, when writing um, a lot of, but like I said, a lot of things come from just natural feelings and things that I've experienced in life, uh, tragedies, happiness, um, I just try to incorporate all those type of things. Such a total pleasure getting the chat with Patrick for the show. I wish him the best of luck on his journeys, on continuing to present his research at various conferences, and on successful upcoming seasons with the South Carolina State University Band and their instrumental programs. Best of luck. To honor Patrick Moore's love of action movies, particularly those that involve things that explode or go boom, this week's rave is the 2021 film F9, The Fast Saga, directed by Justin Lin and featuring, well, all the usual principles. I've stated a number of times on this show over the years of my love of this franchise and my disappointment when my guests don't really enjoy them. This is one of those items that once I started making a point of seeing these films in the theater, which was around the time of Fast Five, I realized I was completely in and my enjoyment of these just picks up with each successive entry. Rather than rewrite my thoughts, I've already gathered them on this and posted it as a Facebook post from earlier this week, and I'm going to do a dramatic reading of said Facebook status. So here we go. Thoughts on Fast and Furious F9. One, acting. Two, magnets. Lots of magnets. Three, Vin Diesel. 20 words each movie. 13 of which are family, and I'm hanging on to every word. Four, a famous rapper makes a cameo, and it is not Young MC. Five, the scenes with Young Dom and Young Jacob. I can't be the only one who noticed the height difference between the young adult and older adult versions, right? Six, space with cars. Seven, more acting, particularly the Stare just off of the camera lens version. Eight. I mean, seriously. Young Dom is about eight inches taller than young Jacob. And at current day, Jacob is two inches taller than Dom? I'm supposed to be okay with this? Nine. Terrible dialogue. Check. Ten. I don't know if this is Charlize Theron's worst or best acting work, but it's one or the other, and I will believe either answer. Eleven. Cars crossing invisible bridges. Cars that slingshot off of cliffs. 12. How many cutaway reaction shots of Jordana Brewster were there in the movie? Think of a number, and it's definitely more than that. 
13. I mean, I know casting can be a challenge, but young Jacob into older Jacob? I mean, it's as if I grow up turning into John Cena. And that is a lot of push-ups. 14. I cackled, for various reasons, at least 15 times. And in short, greatest movie ever. P.S. Shout out to the ticket office for suggesting I get the F9 seat for the F9 film and a picture to prove it. And that's it. Go see F9. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.